Welcome back to Understanding VC. I am your host Rahul. Joining me today is Jeffrey Payne. Jeffrey is a co-founder and managing partner at Golden Gate Ventures, a VC firm based in Singapore with $250 million in assets under management, investing across Southeast Asia. Prior to Golden Gate, Jeffrey launched the Founder Institute program in Singapore in 2010. Under his leadership, numerous Founder Institute chapters have been launched across Southeast Asia, China and Australia. He is also one of the most active and respected startup ecosystem leaders in Asia. Now let's talk to him. So hi Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So where did you grow up? I'm born and raised in Singapore. I'm a quarter British, so my name is kind of Western sounding. So my grandfather's English, I'm second generation Singaporean. So yeah, I'm born in Singapore. Okay. What were your interests growing up? Oh, good question. Not, I don't know, not much really. I think I grew up liking sports a lot because my, my dad is a sportsman. Okay. Um, and then I gradually moved away from organized sports into skateboarding. So kind of, kind of, yeah. But that's another story I can tell you wh- why I went into skateboarding. Yeah. But yeah, so I went skate. Uh, I skated from 13 to maybe 18, somewhere there, 17, 18. Yep. And, so uh, so that was skate? yeah. That was like just just yeah childhood stuff. Yeah. Oh, why skating? Yeah. I think primarily because there were no rules, right? No rules, no drills, no coaches, no nothing. Right? It's just you freedom, and if you want, you can go for competition. So it's nice. ex- extremely artistic, extremely creative, and uh, you meet like weird people. Okay. And uh, your dad was into which sport? Uh, soccer. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. Any reason you went to US for college? Well, yeah, I have a few choices. I think US, Singapore. Reason was I think I wanted to do a few things, film and business. So I think yeah. So so I think the US is a new kind of a new 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 challenge. And I was thinking at the time, yeah, it's a it's a good place to learn something that Singapore don't generally have. So so yeah. Yeah. And did you try building a business? No, that was late later. So, okay. think, yeah, during school, not so much. Yeah, it was more, you know, hustling and, you know, get, yeah, getting jobs and that kind of thing. So, so yeah. Yeah, I kind of helped a few people run parties, but, but that's, that's not my idea. It's their idea. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people have that story, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Making money running parties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess uh, you moved on to consultancy and then you've been in venture ever since. So, a- a- any uh, businesses that you started in between? Mostly advisory businesses. Yeah, mostly advisory businesses. So, more, mostly consulting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you've been in the industry for more than 20 years. So, could you like, uh, let, like just how hard it is being a VC? You know, especially in Southeast Asia, where it's like an emerging market, and then there is not—it's a very it was a nascent industry back then. I think if you count the span of twenty years, it's probably I think VC is an apprentice game. You really need to learn a lot of things, and you are probably making mistakes in the early stages. Plus, if you choose technology, things change, right? Things change every nine months or so, so you have to keep constantly kind of updating yourself. So there's a I guess constant learning and also opening your eyes. I think back then when we started, it wasn't too global. I think we don't travel that much, right? The internet was new. Content was not that prevalent. So the speed of knowledge gathering, it takes a bit of time. Um, but now it's different, right? Now you, you, you're, you're able to 
go down a rabbit hole for a couple of months and then you, you, you can come out roughly knowing what's happening. But at the same time, because the speed of change is so much, there's too many things to understand, too many things to learn. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's an apprentice game. You will definitely make mistakes as you go. And then you know, along the way, you, you kind of build your craft. But at the same time, you also need luck. You also need your team. You also need timing. And then you need certain belief systems, convictions, you know, like, like certain, you know, views, right? Whether it's contrarian or not. So you need to have your own insights as you go. I think the more you do it, the more confident you get. But you also know you still don't know a lot of things. So that's that's a fun part. Yeah. So for, for example, like healthcare in a different country, like Indonesia, unless you study, like how do you really judge a startup that's like trying to, you know, uh, make come up with a product or something like that? And it could be like also in like an emerging tech. So do you keep track of like few industries or do you like read as much as possible about every industry? Yeah, I think for me, I, I think since we are a agnostic fund, uh, we also yeah we I, I, for me I, I tend to read a lot. So I think most of my time, probably half of my time, is is learning, reading, exchanging info, talking to people, understanding why they did something, why they don't do something, understanding what is too early, what is too late, what can make money, what cannot make money, what is fake, what is real. Right. So so it's a constant knowledge gathering. So there's a lot of things to know. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned uh, you spend 50% of your time for research and learning. So then what about managing your two stakeholders, LPs and the portfolio startups? Like how do yeah. you spend time nowadays? I think it depends how you structure your team. I think we do have portfolio management teams. We have the investment team that, that helps out with portfolio management. I think we do make sure that the founders you know, are set. They need the help. They can get the help that they want. When they want to talk to any one of us, we are there for them. And we operate as a as a team. So we don't have one partner to one deal. We have everybody to every deal. So anybody can talk to anybody. And then LPs, we also have partners that focuses on the LP side so that there is more attention. So it's kind of like I chose to focus on uh, trends and research. So some partners are more on, let's say, for portfolio. And then some partners are more yeah. LP fundraising. So I, I am more the trends guy. So what's like the best pitch that you've ever heard? I think this was back in twenty, late 2012. I think it was our first deal in Vietnam. I remember it was a E27 event. It's like a tech conference. And what I did was I organized a small pitching gathering with a few angels at about 6 p.m. at one of the conference rooms, at the conference, like literally, literally one of the floors. It was a multi-story kind of thing. So the founder of the Vietnamese company is a sort of a mobile game publishing company so he came so he texted me and said oh he had some meetings right so he was presenting on stage he has a booth so it's fairly busy so so can can i schedule him last to pitch he said yeah no problem right? so he came last i think 6 50 p.m or something he came in and then he was completely like tired like completely <laughs> stoned <laughs> completely yeah so he came in and he just hooked up his uh, laptop and then he was like very apologetically, he said, sorry, I'm very, very tired. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Sorry, I'm very, very tired. <laughs> um, and then he said, I I'm going to just show you three things, right? Then you can ask me anything you want. So, so he has no deck. Huh? He has no deck. So he hook up his laptop. He says, okay, this is my website. This is what I do. Then he went to another tab on the, on the Chrome browser. This is my Google an analytics, right? And then you see like that, right? like 10 million, 10 million MAU. Yeah. Then he, he go, goes to his uh, payment gateway. Okay, this is how much money I make. 
<laughs> and then it, it nice. comes it comes in every few seconds it tick 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 yeah they say okay that's it okay that's then you close the laptop <laughs> okay any questions <laughs> yeah so nothing there's no market size there's no team there's nothing just three three taps and then he's like you know sorry i'm very tired just ask me anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was the did, most did you end, yeah uh, you you ended up investing in that yes, business, yes i guess yes. <laughs> i mean he showed you everything that you wanted to see <laughs> yeah, technically right yeah, yeah. And, and everything else you know i mean a pitch meeting of like three four five minutes your job is to interest people to talk to you for a longer time right yeah yeah so he did that right he doesn't need the full yeah. deck right just Egg. three taps is enough to spark interest so so yeah so he did his job so you know vcs always talk about team product market why now why the team and things like that so uh, what do you think about the speed of execution because i i've seen a lot of vcs you know, look at something maybe they're not really sure but they keep track whether these guys are like iterating fast and making progress and then based on that take a decision so i'd like to know uh, get your opinion on how speed of execution plays into your decision making to invest in a startup i think speed of execution uh, means you know the the team are able to push product but it doesn't mean that they understand what the customers actually want right pushing product and understanding what they want is different so i think it's definitely important to know how to build product and ship it and grow it but i think as as the company move you can kind of tell whether they listen whether they iterate properly whether they kind of sort of improve the product to a point where it's it's something that people really really want but at the very least they are able to ship it fast right so that's probably one yeah. of the few traits but you know there are more to that yeah but it is an important trait yeah so has there been a case where like you have kind of maybe uh, passed on a a team and but they have come back and then you've invested because of the progress they made i believe we have done it before but i can't remember the company <laughs> Yeah yeah we have done it before. I think a lot of times is I think the first time we talked to them, you know, maybe they were a little bit too early or they went down slightly the wrong path and then we said okay if you had gone this way maybe we can talk again and then you know they they kind of took the info, they kind of understand what's happening and then they 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 turn they turn another direction. And then when they did that they came back to show us right and and obviously you know if, if it was going well of course they'll come back to show me but if it's not going well they probably won't come back anymore yeah. so once we gave a positive reaction or positive direction they they came back and then we were like okay that's that's the one we want to see and and that's where we kind of end, end up investing but at the end of the day yeah the, the startup was very very it's not binary it's not zero and one it's not if you get this you get money yeah, it if works. you get this yeah. your valuation is this right Yeah. If my metrics are this, then seventy percent of the investors will want to invest in me. There's, there's no such thing. Right? Yeah. It's all over the place because investors yeah. have different expectations and different maturity, different sophistication, and then the founders are also selling a vision that is sometimes fifty percent real, fifty percent bluff. Yeah. So when yeah. you kind of mesh both of them, right? It's kind of like <laughs> everybody not knowing what's happening and they're talking to each other. with no yeah. information no real direction nothing right so i think it's it's a tricky thing so so to me it's more if the founders are very particular about product obsessed about the customers problems and uh, they're trying their hardest to make sure that the product is right for them sometimes you are on the right track but 
if you happen to be in a small country or you're too early, you still will not make it. Right. Even yeah. if you if you are good in what you do, you, you still won't make it. Sometimes you can't raise money. Sometimes you raise money and you cannot get there. Right, uh, growth wise, yeah. revenue wise, you can't get there. So sometimes there's there's other other issues that that surrounds what makes a good company. Yeah. So what do you think is the one mistake that startups tend to make, you know, especially in Southeast Asia, that that really frustrates you the most? I would say underestimating the go to market, underestimating timing. Right. Yeah. And then probably do not really understand what is the actual real market share they can get. So of course, when you are when you are much earlier stage, right, a lot of this is still kind of projections and I think right, it's a lot of I think I think I can get this. I think yeah. I can launch by yeah. when. But what changes the founder is along the way, right? They get more and more accurate. They are more and more honest, right? So many yeah. founders actually are very honest, and then some. Founders, they try to hide the stuff and don't, you know, they just don't tell you. Oh, I'm actually way too early. Oh, my found, uh, my customers actually don't yeah. want to pay me, or they yeah. they rather build it themselves. They are not going to pay me, right? So, so I think it's a mixture of soft skills part, and then the other one is the the real understanding of the market. But again, it's not their problem, right? It's not their problem because a yeah. startup lack of information. <laughs> yeah, it's just exactly. there's no information, right? So it's about discovery. That's why early stage is extremely risky. That's why we are all there to help each other figure it out. A lot of times it's, you know, yeah. I'll invest and then you figure it out. If not, we invest and then we help you figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you think startups can get the timing right? Because nowadays what I see is that, uh, you know, the, the clone startups, the timeline, get, like lag is like getting very minimal from US to Short, shorter, maybe, yeah. Uh, yeah. South, yeah, Southeast Asia. So, how do you think startups can get their timing right in terms of? I think at our current stage, the reason why you're seeing it that way is because there's too much money, right? So there's okay. enough money for three years to figure out and they know that it will come within three years, right? You, you don't have to yeah. be so accurate, right? If it was eight years ago, then it's different, right? So the eight years ago, the lag is longer because you can't raise money. You need to prove something before you raise money. Now it's yeah. you. You have the money, and you go and prove it for me. Yeah. So to me, what is lacking is probably understanding the drivers, right? Consumer drivers, business drivers. Why would this thing kick into gear, and and not just the first one thousand users, right? What what? How how can you yeah. go to the next three four stages? The other is the realization of other factors from competition to you know larger companies coming to this distribute usually they will take about two years to try to distribute competition is probably direct or indirect startup competition and also if you copy something way too fast what if the company you copy will die in four years what happens right so yeah. they also need to make sure that the company they copy actually will succeed right many of them are yeah. not yeah. in that boat huh? many of them are in that boat yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that has happened to me actually yeah right so because you don't have that that four years of going down and then right and then that category of startups are stabilizing and it's proven that it's actually making money it's proven that it's unique economic possible but if you kind of shorten it so it's not even proven yet right so you kind of jump the gun way yeah. too fast but of course you see the problem you saw the solution and then you'd say okay no one's doing this i'll I'll do this and then I'll try to figure it out because this site has different problems as this site. 
right? So you, yeah. you assume that even if they die over there, it doesn't mean I will die because I'm in a country that is different from everybody else, right? Yeah. But realistically, it's about 70% the same, right? So if they die, there's 70% chance you will also die. So, so that's, that's the thing. Yeah. They, yeah, they need to kind of speed up on the knowledge part of it. I think most copycat founders actually do not ever, very few, they have never ever spoken, flown around the world three times to talk to the companies they're about to copy. Have you ever yeah. met anyone like that? Right? Before they start no. a copycat, they went around, they went to Germany, they went to the US, they went to China, India and talked to the founders and asked them, yeah. what mistakes have you made? Please tell me so I don't make the same mistake. Right? Yeah. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. I have seen no. very few, very few. Okay. I funded a few of them. <laughs> okay. But generally, you don't see that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, talking about this, there's a very interesting thing. So uh, there is this company in the US called Levels Health. So they use continuous glucose monitoring, which has been an existing technology, but then they build, they, they have an app, which kind of gives you information on top of that. So every time you have food, it kind of gives you like what happens to your body in terms of like your uh, sugar levels yeah. and then you can improve your lifestyle and this is really good and so the, the, there's a copycat company uh, and uh, i'm using their product i'm one of the earliest users but my concern is that people like me are very very few you know even when i talk to doctors about this they think that you should not do this you this is paranoia yeah. so I, i'm like really thinking you no know, whether this is going to become mainstream i really would want this to be become mainstream because in, you know my family has a fa history of diabetes and then india is like the diabetic capital in the world and there are like yeah. 500 million people who are diabetic and another 600 million people who are pre diabetic so uh, yeah it's it's like you said if you copy too early uh, without even the the guys in the us make like realizing like validating that this is like a going to be a thing <laughs> yeah, it's very risky are they doing well i think they are right? i'm not sure I think so. Yeah. And it's uh I'm serious in invasive, right? Is it? Yeah, it's invasive. Ah uh, yeah, okay. I've seen this two years ago. People have been trying to copy. The reason is the people who are crazy enough to body hack and will yeah. draw blood from yourself is very, very small. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's in the West, right? It's in all the yeah. all the oat milk drinking, soylent drinking places, right? Yeah. Here, ah, here is different, right? Here here you know yeah. probably about Maybe seven, eight years too early. Yeah. <laughs> so until there is but, no more in, invasive, then it's different. Yeah. Because that, that is a, you know, like a version 1.0 thing, right? We, you need yeah. a version 3.0 to work here. Yeah. I think the, the, the founder is a experienced founder who has sold a business to one of the food delivery companies here. And uh, the, this company is already a series B company. <laughs> That's, I think, down to his past performance, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you always talk about the importance of coaching. Uh, you know, I've I've seen you doing research for this. <laughs> it always comes up. So, do you think like even experienced founders and the founding teams need coaching, or uh, is it more like uh, Wendy Rhodes for uh, Bobby Axelrod? Uh, you know, from the show Billions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of research. I think that I I don't want to scare people, but it's it's literally so the Wendy Rhodes thing is you know helping employees perform well, right? Yeah. Especially in jobs that is extremely high, I guess, high intensity. So that one is pretty straightforward, right? In terms of behavioral science, right? And neuroscience yeah. in terms of how you, yeah. yeah, how you look at risk, how you tolerate a bunch of things. So I think as a trader, it's a different, like a different thing. I don't think you need the Wendy Rhodes type in general at that frequency for an accounting firm, for example, right? But 
But if you move if you move away from employees, you move to founders, it's actually a much staggering kind of thing. I think yeah. generally founders, I think at least seventy percent of them have some mental health issues. It's just that they don't know about it. There's between two to six times more likely for everything, right? From yeah. suicidal thoughts to everything. So we are like twice yeah. as worse there as anybody. The reason why is the I would say less than four percent of the world population is uh, entrepreneurs, right? And there's a yeah. reason for that. There's yeah. a certain personality traits makeup of a person that wants to start a business. Right? Yeah. Not not the type that they are forced to start a business, right? So if you yeah. are forced to leave a job and then you are forced to start something, that's a different set of people. The, yeah. the ones that we talk about are the, the ones that we know, right? The ones that I want to do this, right? So those people tend to have a certain type of personality traits that actually attracts worse issues for mental health, right? So to me, if... The data is there, but the danger is in Asia is worse because it's a huge stigma, right? Yeah. If you say you need help, people look at you weird. In fact, half of them don't even know what you're talking about, right? Yeah. And even if you know that you need help, you don't know where to turn to. You don't know where to go. So there's a lot of that issue right now here, um, especially in Asia. It has never changed. It has never, ever changed. So, yeah. So to me, coaching mental health is loosely tied. In fact, it's quite quite heavily tied together and and then i'll tell you another thing most startups don't work out right yeah right those who work out have higher expectations right you raise more and more money you have more and more expectations right so that means literally everybody have problems right so sometimes it is not because you're a founder you have this problem sometimes it's or rather it's not because you were born like that you have this problem but sometimes it's because you're a founder the environment gave you that problem right so sometimes it accelerates it because, you know, anxiety, you're running out of money, you're not performing, I don't know what to tell my board, etc. That's the bad side. And then yeah. the good side is, okay, I raised a lot of money, I need to manage 1,000 people now, what do I do? And then I need to hit all these targets, what do I do? Right. So that's on the good yeah. problem, the good problem side. So the bad problem has an, another side, and then the good problem has an, another another side. Which basically means most founders, and, and another thing, founders are you know, typically very lonely people. Right. Yeah. So so either way they are kind of stuck. They don't know where to go. They don't know who to talk to. Right. The board typically don't really help that much. So they are kind of like in their own world. So there 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 lies the issue. I think my feeling is above. I think close to seventy eighty percent do need some some help. It's just that they don't know what to do. Don't know where to go. Yeah. So when it comes to coaching, so you you're saying it's not for skill upgrade, right? Mostly it's mostly to make sure that it's more like a therapist. Well, there, there are two parts to coaching, right? One is the yeah. the dealing with certain mental health issues, right? Yeah. The, the other one is actually coaching you on the best practices of how to run a company, right? So something like sometimes how to how to do a one-on-one, how to do a performance review, how to, how to make decisions, that kind of thing. But you don't really teach people. You kind of like gave them a framework and then you kind of like coach them as they do it, right? Yeah. But all this company building exercise is about dealing with people, right? Yeah. It's about you know, inter- interpersonal dynamics. So there's there's a lot of soft skills, leadership stuff, and then tactical stuff. Plus, you are doing it in your mental kind of environment, right? So sometimes you don't make decisions well is because there are some trust issues that you need to solve. And then what happened before that the trust issues came about? So you need to solve things like way, way before. 
So there's a lot of this yeah. little baggage here and there that you need to sort of sort out before before you can actually be on tip top shape to to run a company, right? So there's yeah. there's tactical and then there's you know there's a bit of uh, uh, history. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of coaches, we are lacking. Uh, so Southeast Asia is lacking in both. I would say it's getting better. We are lacking in coaches that can help founders. Many many coaches, right? So leadership career coaches, like executive sort of from big companies type. I think we are okay there. But coaches that specialize or very good at handling founders is a different thing, right? Founders are different. Like I said, yeah. founders are different people. Yeah. So I think we have some coaches that are that have clientele, you know, that are coaches, uh, that are founders, but we don't have enough of them. You know? Yeah. So I've heard a lot of founders in US talk about Matt Machari and yeah. uh, also the, the author of the book Reboot. I can't remember his name. Jerry, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Jerry Fernandez. Yeah. So, uh, is there a, a similar version in Southeast Asia? If not, who's that person? Southeast Asia, not yet. Yes. Not yet, but I think soon. <laughs> soon. Okay. Uh, not yet. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, this quote is by Chamath Palhepatia uh, on his uh, podcast, All In Podcast. Now, the argument of unprofitable growth is a vestige of fund dynamics with uh, VCs raising larger and larger funds because they care more about you know, their management fee rather than the carry. So I would love to hear your thoughts. Is that the reason why we have a lot of unprofitable startups? I don't know when he said this. When did he say this? 2019? A couple of months back. Oh, okay. no, no, no. <laughs> New. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. So, so if it's a couple of months back, it's because of the sort of the new onslaught of uh, capital from non-traditional VC. Area, right? So the hedge funds, mutual funds, yeah. you know, corporates are coming, I would say, coming down downwards. So some of them are taking more of an index approach, right? They, it's like 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 Tiger, they, they take an index approach, right? They do a lot of the large ones. And then some are more calculated and some, some concentrated approach. To me, it's a rationale of the difference between how they look at companies and how we look at companies. So that's, that's the reason, right? Some of them will say, okay... If I give you the money and you are a category winner and you can still go public with this unprofitability and you still, you know, after going public, you still have five to seven years to, to prove your you know, to prove your way, which means you have literally seven plus five. So probably like 12 years to prove your way. 12 years. They will still take that bet, right? They'll say, yeah. In fact, your next 12 years, I'm going to make, I don't know, whatever, 20, 30 times, right? And I believe you can get there to figure it out. But the the thing people don't know is along the way, they, they could have sold everything, right? Yeah. 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 So, so there is this, there are two games we are playing right now. One is if you perform, I'll give you the money and the valuation, right? The other game yeah. is I'll give you the money, please get me the valuation. Yeah. Right? Which yeah. is either true, not true, give me more time, don't worry, I'll get there. Oh, I, I missed this quarter because of ABC reasons. Oh, COVID happened. Give me more money. Oh, COVID is still here. Give me more money, right? It's kind of like, like delay, yeah. delay, delay. So, and because the general tech sector has been up, right? There were some minor, minor corrections on the tech side. We don't really have a big drop. So monies are coming, right? And then with the issue with China, monies are coming out and then moving around. So there's more and more money. And there is no such thing as, how do you say, um, you know, last time, 10x, 10x uh, ARR is, is a very high valuation. Now 100x, yeah, people are half laughing and half agreeing to it, right? So the valuation multiples become a game, 
there is no right, yeah. no wrong, nothing is right, nothing feels right, nothing feels wrong, it's a bit kind of lost. Yeah. And and that, we, that means we are in a bubble, right? And we, we know that yeah. already for about one and a half years. But what are you going to do? As long as the outcome is also large at some point, if the, you have that, then it's fine, right? Correct. So it's still going up, then then it's okay. As long as yeah. someone's taking my price and I'm out, then I make money, I'm good. But what happens if the bubble bursts, right? Yeah. Yeah. Then if you're holding majority of this kind of assets, then, then you'll be in trouble because no one's going to buy right, yeah. from, the price to, from the price that you want. So for example, right now, there's a saying is you can raise money at 300 million pre-money, but you cannot sell it for $80 million. Yeah. Yeah. You understand? No. Yeah. And also a lot of the fund managers in Asia and even in Europe have never had a, probably never had a carry, right? So is that also a factor? So they are, they are more like, okay, I mean, my incentive is just the management fee and then I can have like a, a good job for 10 years. Actually, not really. I think most founders of funds, they know that the carry, yeah, the, yeah, the carry is the, the game, right? Yeah. So I think why Jamal said this is because for larger funds, the fees are actually a lot, right? And if, yeah. If you really look at how much they pay themselves, right? If you work for one fund cycle, you can actually retire already. Yeah, right? so so yeah. that's the thing, no? Then there is no incentive for them to exactly. Know, there is no skin in the skin in the game. Exactly, but the, the but but then these guys they don't raise those kind of funds from nothing, right? Yeah, they came from they somewhere. Yeah, they came from yeah. somewhere. So they yeah. struggled somewhere. They came from somewhere. They have a track record that already made them money, right? Yeah, or they have a much smaller fund before. Right, yeah. and they make money from carry, so they they know that you know if if I want to make this is carry, if I want to uh, recruit the best people, it is carry, right? And I think his his thing was more like, why do you need bigger and bigger funds doing not so very interesting deals, right? <laughs> I think that's usually what Jamas will always say, like, oh, why yeah. invest in another copycat? Why don't you just cure cancer or something, right? Like he's a he's a little bit more, you know, yeah. Let's solve the biggest problems. Why why go and invest in another whatever? Yeah, and he's not wrong. Right? It's not wrong. Yeah. But there are many, many ways to make money. And the big problems typically takes a long time to make money. Sometimes you will never make money, right? So you need to Yeah. Right. If you just do math and you just try to construct the portfolio, yeah, you, 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 you do need to diversify a little bit. It's not it's not easy. Like I said, it's not easy. Startups and VCs are not easy to do. Yeah. I've heard you mention that you know, especially in Southeast Asia, seed VCs don't talk to Series A guys and so on. So why is that? I mean, so the, I mean, my understanding is that graduation rates are one of the most important things, important metric for a VC fund performance. So uh, why would not a seed, seed VC talk to a Series A guys? Because you re- definitely want to know what these guys want, right? Yeah, that's a good. So I think one reason is we we trust. It's like a startup founder, right? So we trust what we do, but we don't trust what other people do. <laughs> if you understand what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. for example, if I ask the best growth funds in the world and ask them what they want, then I will trust them, right? Because yeah. if everybody gives me a term sheet for my portfolio, I want the term sheet from this guy, correct? That means hmm. you perhaps, just mathematically, you perhaps only trust the top 10%, right? That means there is no point in me asking the, the 90% what you want because I don't trust you anyway because your your track record is not good. So yeah. why do I even listen to you? So they, they everybody look at the 10%, but nobody can talk to the 10%. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then on the other hand, just like a startup founder who believes their stupid idea is very good, we will believe right what we pick are very good. Yeah. Right. So why do I need to listen to you? Right. I believe I'm good. So why listen to you? So there is this two two things. One is we only trust a small amount of people, and and even then we don't talk to them. Right. Sometimes there's opportunity. We still don't talk to them. It's kind of weird. But most of the time you don't have the opportunity. Right. Then on the flip side, you right. This is what I do. Right. I have high confidence in what I do, so I don't need to listen to anybody. Right. Yeah. So that's that's my two my two my my. My two reasons for for why this doesn't happen a lot. Yeah. So I heard you speak about the Southeast Asian exit landscape, and then you mentioned something like, you know, I mean, every startup needs at least like a seven hundred million dollar exit for it to be VC funded. So I mean, at least a billion dollar outcome yeah, needs yeah. to happen for VCs to make it work for their model. So I'm I'm curious to know, like, what percentage of startups that approach you for investment kind of really understands this, and then has that number changed? when you compare it from 10 years back yeah my data was in the last 10 years i think it's probably not going to change because now we are kind of in a inflated pricing right so so i think the next 10 years we probably have in terms of speed and density we probably we probably will generate the same amount of companies of that size yeah so that number probably won't change now as for the question as the startup founders do they understand i, I don't think they do i think most of them don't don't understand so at the really really early stage right at pitch deck stage, accelerator stage, they still don't really know. The reason is they are still not fully clear on their revenue model and their their eventual multiples, and where should they be going? Which country should should they be attacking? So they still really don't know. And most of them actually now it's 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 a normal thing, right? Because it's yeah. an element of fear that if I do this research, it will tell me that I'm not venture backable. This this fear. So oh, For if sure. I do this only in Thailand, I'm I'm too small, right? I can only raise three million max. Otherwise, the five ten million guys will never make money. So you you get right. Ah, that's another anxiety attack straight away. <laughs> You're like oh shit, right? So to me, it's partly they don't really want to know the reason. Then the other one is they actually don't know the answer, right? They are trying to figure it out. Yeah, uh, I think that is uh, maybe one reason sometimes lying happens that we talked about in earlier. You know, uh, because that when that validation comes and then the validation is not what you want, <laughs> then you feel like okay, maybe I, I still need to keep looking. Correct, correct, correct. And and sometimes it's a constant search, right? Yeah. It's a constant search. Yeah. Oh, can I upsell more? Can I do something else? Can I yeah. go to another country? Can yeah. I build five products in one country or one product in five countries, right? And then how how do I make more revenue at higher margin? How can I protect my margin? It's it's a constant thing, right? No matter what business you're in, it's not easy. Because the moment you make money, everyone's gonna come after you, right? No one's gonna leave you alone, right? They're gonna just disturb you all the time. So so you know, running business is not 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 easy, as I think everybody knows. Yeah. So that's why I I tell people that there's a reason why family conglomerates they do not take risks because it took them many many years to fight off everybody that's trying to disturb them, right? But now they are in the power to disturb people. And why would they take any risk? They won't take risk, right? It took them decades to, to get to where they are. Yeah, so so you have to also understand why they are the way they are. Yeah. When you look at the future, what are you excited about? I think pretty high level stuff. I think it's more the profilation of entrepreneurship in emerging and frontier markets. I think that's that's one of the reasons that will kind of change economies. 
And then, you know, because of Google, because of English language, because of all the content out there, it's much easier to build companies now. Yeah, so so it's, it's really for the taking. I think that's very interesting. And then the other areas are all the new sort of all the new areas that kind of solves interesting problems, right? So problems. like climate climate tech, right? Web tree, you know, crypto area is pretty interesting. So there's a lot of things up and coming. I think the overall perception of entrepreneurs are I think all time high, irregardless of what culture you come from. But I think in Asia and some other parts of the world it is still a stigma to start companies. But in general, right, in a general Western world, it, it has been kind of celebrated. Right? The media has kind of covered them well. So at some point, yeah, I think you know people people will start companies more and more. Yeah, in fact, probably certain economies, eighty percent of their economy will be from companies less than five years old. Right. So that's that's the more interesting part. Yeah. yeah so so what are some of the frontier markets that you're excited about? Awesome. For for me right now it's Africa. There's nothing there's nothing else. I think every other country has been kinda kick started. So right like Pakistan, Bangladesh have moved. Uh Latin Latin America has moved for a while. I think they are pretty much a little bit ahead of us sometimes in Southeast Asia. Central Asia, Nepal, Mongolia, they are they are moving along but it is a bit difficult for them. But Central Asia is moving. Eastern U uh, Eastern Europe definitely moving. Uh, Middle East has been moving for about three years, so so there's a lot of countries are moving. I think Africa is the one that you know uh, will move the most. The needle will move the most. Yeah, and in terms of uh, emerging techs, uh, what are you most interested about at the moment? Oh, in the in the sectors. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, like what tech emerging oh, tech? Yeah, for for me, about? for me, it's mostly uh, climate tech. That's my personal okay. yeah my personal interest. So we do. I think we've. We do look at it to invest in. We we do have a crypto focus since 2018. So crypto has always been our thing. But climate tech is a little bit harder to 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 understand. But but I think for me, yeah, you know, climate climate tech, yeah, just just for my my own personal interest. So thank you so much for taking the time to do this. You're welcome. It, it was a great conversation. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please follow Understanding VC wherever you're listening to this, and also share it with folks who might be interested. Thank you.